This is Adam Lippi, writer, editor, publisher of RegrettableSincerity.com, and this is a podcast with the director of the documentary What's the Matter with Kansas, Joe Winston, who adapted uh, Thomas Frank's best-selling book. Now, Mr. Frank's book is about how Kansas went from the most politically liberal state in the country to where it is now one of the most conservative, and its citizens most of whom earn fairly low wages, and as jobs are moved overseas and the population dwindles, they seem to be voting against their own interests by voting conservative. But the movie is more about the people themselves, less of a broad overview. And though you might think that this is just going to be a discussion between two commie liberals bashing the heartland folk, that's... well, I guess that's only half right, because there's a lot of introspection here and a lot of honest analysis, and we also try to take the Creation Museum seriously. Anyway, other subject matter includes Christian baseball games, what happens when your content is not as glib as your title, how slain abortion doctor George Tiller fits into the film, and my coining of a phrase to properly describe Bill Maher. Now, because the film is just coming out on DVD tomorrow, and it had a very limited theatrical run, I assume most of you will have not seen the film. And so, as I did with my podcast with Chris Morris and Jordan Brady, I'm providing a visual glossary. So if you go to the site, regrettablesincerity.com, and you click on this particular podcast link, you will be able to look at images, because there's a, any reference that Joe or I makes that is unclear is explained if you click on one of the relevant images below, such as my opening remark about Judas Priest lead singer Rob Halford. Now, the interview was recorded last Thursday, and so when I made a reference to Keith Olbermann being a current broadcaster, uh, that was accurate at the time, even if 24 hours later he resigned from his job at MSNBC. Also, you may notice that the sound quality has been immensely improved from previous podcasts as I upgraded some of the recording equipment. Credit to ProAudioStar.com for working with me on that. Enjoy. There was one person who was in the movie for like about a minute. It was a for, former Boeing um, employee. Um, yeah, Dale Swift. And I didn't know that the guy from Judas Priest worked for Boeing. Uh, Rob Halford. <laughs> well, those rock stars, sometimes they have complicated double lives. Well, I was going to ask. I mean, I'm sure everyone makes the mistake of, of, of thinking that Thomas' names is Frank Thomas. And so I would ask like that he was doing all this work during his MVP years in 2002 and 2003. That... That, that's quite an accomplishment, and uh, he certainly yeah. lost a lot of weight since his playing days. Yes, he has. Yeah, he looks a lot different. Now, what I noticed about the the film, and that you know, this may sound depressing, that that most of the characters go to Kansas because that's where you go to give up, is what it seemed like. Is 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 that accurate to the people you met? Whether you can comment on that or not, it's like, well, you know, I didn't get what I wanted to do, so I just moved to Kansas. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. So Laura and I had never been to Kansas. We live in Chicago. You know, mm-hmm. before we'd never been to Kansas before we started making the film. And part of the appeal, actually, was was the chance to go there to this place that most Americans have kind of a, a, a very vivid image of, you know, from movies and like, you know, The Wizard of Oz and things like that, but, but have never been to because it seems so average, so normal, like a place you don't even need to go and see. And, of course... Uh, you know, we make some references in the movie to it. You know, it's a political documentary, and it, it complicates things by bringing up some of Kansas' uh, liberal politics, which people mostly don't know about, from 100 years ago. Back then, I think Kansas was, I'm sure, was a place to get rich. It was part of the Wild West. You know, well, there's, there's, a, there's a place in Kansas called Liberal Kansas, 
I know that. I've been yeah. in Kansas once, and um, I have an unironic um, minor league program from the, I, I swear to God, the liberal BJs. <laughs> I'm sure you know the team, if they still exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's not spelled, uh-huh. it's spelled B-E-E-J-A-Y-S, and I don't know why they did that to themselves, but I guess that's how old it is that nobody notices. Yeah. I, I was in yeah. I was in well, Kansas ten or twelve years ago, uh, storm chasing. Yeah. So I I was I maybe caught gotcha. the end of the uh, the liberal movement pre the what was that the summer of summer of mercy summer of mercy right right sorry go ahead you know so once upon a time you know Kansas was part of the wild west and it was a place people went to get rich you know but certainly now that part of the country the high plains in general you know you can draw a line all the way from the Dakotas all the way down to you know parts of Texas or Oklahoma you know except for when you get down to oil country there, you know, the, the, that part of the country is emptying out, you know, right? The, the small towns are dying, population is declining rapidly because, yeah, the opportunities aren't there, right? And so I, a lot, we met a lot of, I mean, let's see, the people we feature in the film, they aren't all native Kansans, a lot of them are, you know, so some of them left and came back, some of them never left. But there certainly is, I think, people from outside the state sometimes see, sort of get a pervasive sense from the film. We definitely don't shy away from the sort of decay that's taken roots in that part of the country. You see it, you know, in the, in the visuals of, you know, Main Street collapsed, you know, is one of the first things you see in the film. And so it's sort of rural poverty that most people don't know about. You, you said in the interview that's on the disc that you didn't want to go in with an agenda, and, and the movie does not seem to have a specific agenda, though it, ha- you know, it does have a point of view because you did make editing choices, so it's, it's there. How do you avoid the glibness that's inherent in a bunch of liberals going to a conservative state to make a documentary about what idiots they are. And I know that's not really what you were doing, but that's that's what the title implies, and that is what the audience would expect. Well, it's, it's interesting on a couple levels, you know. I mean, so, you know, the main thing that, that Laura and I did when we went to film in Kansas is we listened. You know, we went there to listen and try to put aside a lot of our predispositions. We just sort of went there with the attitude that we're not that interesting, or it's, it's the people in Kansas who are interesting. We want to know what they think, because frankly, more of America is like that than where we live. And that was, that was kind of our, our modus but operandi. You, so, you like admitted that you had to lie. You, you admitted that you had to lie about what the title was. Well, you know, look, the thing is that Thomas Frank's book, when it came out, right, which would give us the inspiration to go and film there, uh, was instantly notorious throughout Kansas. And... Um, you know, if we, if we wanted to argue with people about his, you know, even people who hadn't read it, you know, it's, cla- it's fa- classic, right, that books generate strong opinions and people who haven't read, even have, haven't read them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we just weren't going to get anywhere talking about Tom and his book. I mean, it was just too divisive because, because truthfully, the tone of his book is very critical, right? He's very critical of, of Republican voters. He thinks that they're making the wrong choices, and he's very... Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, he's very direct about saying so in, in his book. And so while he's trying to understand Kansas, he's also criticizing very loudly, right? He's editorializing directly. And so knowing that we didn't want to do any of that, we definitely, Laura and I had to, take, had to keep a much lower profile, you know? And we were willing to be proved wrong, you know? We are willing to have Tom proved wrong if something he said, you know, didn't match up with what we found that people were doing. But it just was a lot of just... You know, it's, it's really the classic documentary tradition is what we come from. Of these, these kind of the, the cinema verite docs, you know, from the '60s by the by, you know, salesmen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, things like that, where where you just follow people around, and it, it's very interesting. You just you just 
it, it, it's kind of a thrill actually to try to disappear and and have them forget that you're there. Well, I mean, part of what I was asking about the title is because, as you even admit in the Q and A on the disc, that your movie doesn't yeah. answer the question, nor does it even really right. attempt to. Um, and it seemed like you were stuck in the same position as Mike Wilson was when he made Michael Moore Hates America, and his movie's not even really about that. He just pigeonholed himself <laughs> into that. And I don't think that's a very good movie, but not for the reasons that it hates Michael Moore. It's just ineptly yeah. made. That's a little different, and it, you know, th there's all sorts of other problems. But he put himself in a hole by naming it that. And since your right. movie isn't really about what's the matter with Kansas... Was there ever any inclination to just go with a title that was more accurate? Well, I don't know. You know, it's funny because, you know, Tom does a lot of the tours with us, right, when, he, when we show the film around, and he feels that actually it's very true to his book, almost truer to his book than what many of his fans have made of it, you know? But just more subtle, just a different way of delivering this impression. I mean, I, I think we do deliver a sense that something's wrong, you know, that even if you sympathize with the conservatives, that, that the direction of the country is just is, is not not going where it should. I think that that does come across. I think it just comes across differently than if than something with overt editorializing, which also you know which movie audiences who see uh, documentary movies like Michael Moore movies have gotten used to. You know. Yeah, but but your your movie does not editorialize. Only the title does. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. Right. 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 So you're you're well, battling against your own you know, title. It made its own judgment. <laughs> Well, it comes. To, I mean, it does. You know, at some point, it comes down to this: uh, we want people to see it, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Tom's book was as good a provocation as any. You know, there was a spate. I remember there were people started a spate of documentary projects right around the time we started ours. They were kind of like they took on like the red state, blue state motif. Like a lot of them had that in the title somehow, mm -hmm. or things like that. And they just uh, and none of them got anywhere because they had no they because they had no point of view and no place to go. And at the very least, you know, Tom book was a great springboard for us. It did give us a direction and some place to go to do what's really interesting, which is to show viewers on the coasts and the big cities what the middle of the country is really like. Like it's go on the internet and go to a message board. That's, that's how I learned. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I didn't know. I, I, I grew up a, a liberal elite Jew New Yorker. Um, yeah. And until I went to a couple of message board forums where it was not all the same people that I grew up with or types of people that I would know or that that's when I started to understand the middle of the country. Like, how could you possibly yeah. think this? And it's not that they necessarily justified it, but then right. I started to understand what it was. Because when I was in Kansas, all I, all I understood is that a lot of old people like to go to the Golden Corral. <laughs> no, because what I was getting at with your title, I mean, there, did you see the movie Jesus yeah. Camp? Oh, we have, yeah. Okay. I'm going to admit that I turn it off after 35 minutes because the movie, the footage is non-judgmental. The music is the judgmental part. The music shows you a horror film. The movie is not a horror film. It made a few very unfortunate choices uh, in what is in many ways a great film, actually, by yeah, feeding the fears of their presumed liberal viewers. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you don't need to add horror movie music to make this scary. It's already scary because they're indoctrinating children in the same way that in your film they have that. Like, you, you, you know, in its own way, your movie's an exploitation film, but for political people. Because <laughs> you can watch that scene there at the end where the guy's talking really, really fast at the Creation Museum. And the kids are not interested 
when they ask i mean were they were they were they naturally asking those questions of the guy at the very end or were those oh, yeah. were so those we, fed to him fed to them oh no and actually you know what we did was so you know in the movie we traveled to the creation museum and it was actually this was actually back the museum had only been open about a month or so and we just went there because our the family we were following the bardens they just that's just we just called them up and said hey what are you doing as we would call people every now and then check in on them and they said oh we're going to the creation museum oh what's that and that's how we found out about it. And so we just followed them there, which was a great way to do it. I mean, uh, and um, <laughs> what a place, right? It's kind of famous now, but the end uh, it's designed to be famous. But so when it came time to, we wanted somebody official to interview for the museum, I was really bored with the idea of having me interview them. I thought it would be much more fun to have the Barden family interview them. So we just let them do it. You know, that was all them, really. Well, um, th- did you see the irony that it would be boring for you to do it, but then they were bored doing it? <laughs> you know, I, I have to admit to you, the, the reason why the kids are restless in the reaction shots of them is just, it's a technical thing. We filmed the the guy, Jason Lyle, first. Mm-hmm. We only had one camera. We didn't have budget for a two-camera setup. When we came to, t- to turn the camera around and film the kids, they had we had, had to make them do everything a second time. Yeah. And the young, the young kids were getting a little restless by that point. And you didn't have any cutaways where, you know, you could just go to them being interested? Well, that's just sort of what happened. I mean, I think, you know, you could read it differently. I mean, they were very, they were totally, uh, I mean, I'm sure they probably went back to the Creation Museum. They're all lifetime members. I mean, they they were totally soaking that stuff up, but they had this kind of, the way that, you know, obedient kids in school have this kind of like solipsistic kind of sleepy kind of like obedient kind of look about them when they're in that mode, I think. Well, I mean, how do you, see, how do they get across, um, do you know the comedian Mark Maron? I don't. He hosts a podcast, a very, 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 very famous one. In fact, it was a profile in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago called WTF, What the Fuck? And he did an, he, he's, a, he's a comedian, but he also interviews a lot of very interesting people. And one episode, he goes to the Creation Museum with his tape, and he's talking about it. And so I got a sense of listening to that. And I also saw him live about two weeks ago, and he's he's known as a very cynical liberal type because he he used to host a, a few different shows on Air America when it was around and part of what he said and it didn't come across in the movie so much what he said is you know he wasn't arguing with a religious type but it's the the creation museum wants you to believe that humans and you know that that you could go pet a dinosaur if you were a human as if that were possible <laughs> And that is his big thing with it. It's not, he doesn't even, you know, believe what you want to believe, but come on. That that part is the, the most difficult to deal with, is we're not in the Flintstones. Um, yeah, the Creation Museum is an outrageous place. And, I mean, what we found from, this was the usefulness to us of traveling with the Barton family, mm-hmm. is that they kind of inhabited an alter, alternative universe from uh, the universe that I came from, where, uh, almost like a bubble, you know, where... Uh, there are certain, certain kinds of viewpoints. You know, they, went, they would go to a Christian baseball game, to a Christian campground, to a Christian museum. There's enough, you know, in the middle of the country, you can you can escape from, uh, well, what most of us would call reality most of the time. As far as, you know, being exposed to science and certain political viewpoints, you know, that takes the idea of the country being divided to a whole new level. Were, were, did you ask them any questions that might have, like, triggered something, or did you think they'd just shut off if you did that? Like, did you go, well, hey, did you know that, that in fact, the the Founding Fathers were not really about Christianity so much? 
as, as we like <laughs> to be taught. If anything, they were trying to get away from it. Yeah, you know, Laura and I went we went to Kansas 13 different times to film, usually staying for about a week or so, and the crew was always waiting for that moment when we would confront some of the characters, the evangelicals, and debate some of their viewpoints. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it turns out that, you know, if you're going to, you know, debating religion especially or beliefs that are closely held like like that just gets you nowhere you know all, all the it's the walls the walls go up and I, I pretty much knew that and I think at the, the very last time we saw Brittany the young bard girl who goes off to Patrick Henry College I, I read her blogs last night so I know all about her okay yeah yeah you can learn right she's got a blog somewhere yeah she's got and it's, it's filled with no thoughts but lots of biblical quotes it's very it's actually kind of frightening because I know she's been to college and yet it's still like, none of yeah. her own thoughts are in there. It's just a bunch of, I'm going to justify this biblical quote now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I read a little bit of that, and she, didn't, she doesn't feel like that when you talk to her in person. It's okay. funny, but it's not what I knew her. But anyway, I mean, we, we tried engaging in a little bit of debate with Brittany, but yeah, it just made her a little defensive, you know? She was just kind of like, why are you doing this? Sad but true in general that, look, I, and I, I, I'm not going to equate the two, but I found this with people on the left, too, that, you know, when you, if people have strongly held beliefs that they've grown up with or... You know, you're not going to talk them out of them in 15 minutes of knowing them. Yes, but that's true. But it, it, it seems like a lot of, and from what I've talked to people in similar ways, because I agree that there are people on the left who are just as bad about it. But there is a, a yearning to learn something. And yeah. the position that a lot of these people are put in, you know, by going to a Christian baseball game, whatever the hell that yeah. is, um, <laughs> what do they, you know, you know, use a, a cross to hit a baseball with? Is that really... No, that's a terrible thing. I just mean I think they're going to a certain group of people. They were going to a major league baseball game but sitting in a certain section with only other Christ, what they, fundamentalist Christians. Right, I mean, but it's not even acknowledging the fact that Christianity is not the biggest religion in the world. Like, are, are they thinking that Kansas is, is exactly what God wanted? That just that particular state? That all the other religions that have been around far longer... Are, are do they just not acknowledge their existence? Well, at the, you know, it, it, yeah, right. And you can always, and you know, Bill Maher did this with religious, right? Where mm -hmm. he able to over and over again because he's extremely clever. Trap, you know. Uh, well, you see, he's glib though. You didn't. You you just had the title that was glib. I mean, he's so full of himself and so smarmy. But but I, I, I guess I'm just getting at. I mean, I think ultimately the question these these beliefs seem baffling to those of us who don't hold them. You mm -hmm. know. I'm baffled by them. But the question is, why is this so popular, right? Why, why are these beliefs so popular among so many people in this country when we have real problems, right, that we need to solve now? Right. Why are people still, you know, why are people still debating evolution? Why are they still debating these things that we thought we'd already kind of moved past? And that's, you know, certainly if, if we want the country to move forward, that's what we need to understand. I mean, one of the things I appreciated was that the material was not the Bill Maher what I refer to as performance-enhancing smug. It, it, you didn't do that, which is difficult in those situations. And I guess it's hard not to have the conversations, but does that include, like, every subject matter where you couldn't have a similar conversation? Like, you couldn't ask Terry the pastor what, what the real reasons that he had to step down was? Because all we got was a third-hand narrative of why that happened. Right, right. That was very difficult to... Uh... What, what happened with Pastor Fox when he was asked to leave his church, that was very difficult. And, well, actually, we got, I mean, we learned stuff from Angel that she didn't even know she was telling us because she didn't know her mic was still on. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think a little bit of it's in the, in the film. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, that was a situation where nobody would tell anybody. I mean, nobody would tell any outsider what really happened, whether he stole money, as some people alleged, whether, I don't know, those other, most of the allegations were about some kind of, you know, financial misdeeds. Yeah, we, we were never able to get to the bottom of that. Yeah, it, it just seemed very odd and very, um, we've been told this, so we have to tell other people, or we have to cover this up, what's really going on, because it's embarrassing, because it disproves what we really believe, or something. And did you, have you noticed that, that uh, Terry looks exactly like Roger Ebert does now? <laughs> I don't mean what he looked like pre-surgery, I mean post-surgery. Right. <laughs> I hadn't made that connection. Now, with the George Tiller footage, had you shot that and then you just had to put it in because of what happened to him, or was that luck? And well, luck being the wrong uh, word. Doctor Tiller was still Doctor Tiller was still alive when we were filming, mm-hmm. and um, no, he's he, I mean he's a huge he was a huge figure in Kansas, you know. Mm-hmm. And while we were there, I mean his presence alone is what made Wichita such a focus of the anti-abortion movement. And the reason why Operation Rescue staged huge, pro, huge protests, and, you know, there in 1991 for the Summer of Mercy, which, you know, what, so we approached it from a very specific angle. We were interested in how, you know, that these abortion protests mobilized the religious right and changed the, the state's politics. And, yeah, and that inevitably led us to Dr. Tried many times to interview him, but he was always under some kind of investigation by somebody, and his lawyers wouldn't let him talk to any journalists by the time, you know, we were on the scene. So we could never talk to him. So, but you, did you feel obligated to put footage in? Because I'm assuming you were editing just as he was assassinated. Actually, we were done with the film and, and before his assassination, so no, we we no, we weren't influenced by that. I mean, of course, he was always threatened. He'd been shot before, you mm-hmm. know. No, he was. I mean, he's a fascinating guy. And the, the section of our film that deals with the Silver Mercy protests is actually the section that most closely follows Tom's book. It's like a fairly straightforward kind of history of this particular political moment in Kansas, and it gives, it's, it's just really useful, I think, because it, it gives viewers a sense of kind of what happened that allows the right to become so energized at that moment. One of the problems with a lot of documentaries is that they're all preaching to the converted. They're all made about conservative subjects by liberal filmmakers who will then, it will then play before liberal audiences on the East and West Coast and never play in art theaters in, you know, because they don't necessarily exist. So you end up not giving insight into anything to anyone who already didn't know something very similar. Does that make sense? It's a big danger with these kind of projects. It's interesting, the first place, because of that, perhaps, the first place that we showed the film was in Wichita, mm-hmm. where many of the people were in it lived, and we invited them all to come see it, and, and everybody who could come came. And then some of them spoke afterwards. There's a little clip of that on the on the DP extras. Right, right. I Robin Angel Dillard talking. I mean, so that was really interesting too. Uh, and, and actually, the film is very popular in Canada. It's actually, we're coming, we're returning there to show it a couple of times uh, next month for the state's 150th anniversary. Believe it or not. <laughs> and so it, it's just a, it, so it's a very different conversation there. You know, so Kansans, the, the film is very sensitive for them. Obviously, just the title is sensitive. Mm-hmm. For anybody who's a proud Kansan, but if they can get past that, which most of them can, you know, once they see that the people in it are treated respectfully, for them it's a it's a much more intimate conversation. Uh, yeah, because we don't offer the film can be read and almost read in different ways, you know, you know because because we don't ridicule or editorialize 
on the subjects that Kansans have lots to talk about afterwards. And of course, for them, Don Teske is their hero. You know, for real fourth-generation Kansas farmer. He's very popular and usually comes to speak after a screening. How do people generally react to the the political artist in your film? Oh, M.C. Liggett? Yeah, I mean, it, it was um, very strange because he almost had nothing to do with the movie, but he was an interesting figure. Right. Well, almost. No, he had nothing to do with the movie. And, <laughs> and I think, as you said, you know, you, you were going to put the footage in no matter what, and that was probably correct. Yeah, well, he's just so funny. Right, he's because the rest funny. of the movie is so dry, and so he, you know, he yeah. provides a little flavor to it. Yeah, and this is a comic relief that really is necessary. Most of my most of my movies have a lot more people like M.T. Liggett in them, actually. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess I was really drawn to him. He, he, and if you look him up on YouTube, you'll see a bunch of little clips of him. It's funny, though. I remember I was talking with Angel about M.T., or maybe just about the film generally when she after we screened it in Wichita. And she's like, oh, yeah, I've been to all the places in your film. M.T. Liggett, I take my kids out there. <laughs> my jaw dropped. And I'm like, maybe I don't know Angel as well as I think. Well, or, or he's so confused that he's harmless, which is really probably, maybe she sees that too. You know, he's, a, he's kind of a leave-me-alone, Wild West kind of character, and he doesn't have an agenda that makes much sense. That's certainly true. He's not. He actually ran for political office after we stopped filming him. He, was, he tried to get on the, the school board, mm -hmm. <laughs> which surprised me. I don't think he had much success, though. Can't yeah, I don't imagine he would get many votes. Now, part of what he talks about is, you know, how people won't mind their own business and why do, why does stuff like gay marriage and, and abortion and all this stuff matter to them when it, that's about all about personal decisions and personal, you know, that, that just that's a that's all personal stuff. Yeah. It doesn't affect you. Why do you care? But what I noticed mostly is a lot of the maybe a lot of the reason that they're like this in this sense that they're worried about what other people think is, is, is the same reason that busybodies are. They're bored. Because they don't, there's not very much to do. They just, everything just seems so desolate and depressing. And it's not like things aren't desolate and depressing here. I'm in Philadelphia right now, and I can tell you that idiocy is not specific to Kansas. You know, people are uh, are into are, are motivated by the social issues out of out of sheer boredom. Yeah. You know, the big insight that Tom had with his book that we were interested in exploring was the idea that. You know, that American society is becoming increasingly unfair to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Wages are going down, standards of living are going down, and a lot of ordinary people, especially in places with limited opportunities like Kansas, can feel themselves slipping backwards. And our, you know, politics, politicians, aren't addressing any of the real problems. If you're a family farmer in Kansas, the Democrats are going to screw you and the Republicans are going to screw you, and they all know that. Mm -hmm. And that's true of, you know, somebody who lives in a small town, you know, the Walmart's coming, regardless of whether a Democrat's in office or a Republican is in office. And I got a lot of sense from a lot of the people, especially the, the, the people who are more disaffected and more angry that we met in Kansas, that, that they, could, they felt like, you know, their, their lives were getting worse, their children's prospects were less than their own. They wanted to know why, and then if they weren't going to get a solution, they wanted somebody to blame. And I think that that is pervasive. And the right wing has done a really good job of, you know, making liberals the scapegoats. Liberal culture, you know, which is an outside, you know, from, from somebody in the rural heartland, feels like an outside influence, right? The gays, the I agree with, I agree with what you're saying outside. completely, but none of that ended up in the movie, and I know that must have been frustrating for you. <laughs> because you were not able to tie, to, to draw a line at all, whether because of time or because it just would have been too much narration or any narration.
Was there ever an instinct well, to like put in like you know some text explaining something? Right, right. I mean, we don't get what what you, what you don't get from us is, uh, and you have to yeah, you have to just either you know get that on your own somehow or outside of the outside the frame, as it were. What you don't get from us is you know much about the the actions of politicians, right? Because yeah, because it was not filmable in the way that we wanted to film people. Right. It was just beyond the scope of what we thought we could do well. Um, we thought it was much that the most useful thing we could do was to try to profile the conservative movement, kind of the regular people who are involved in it, and, uh, and humanize them and get a sense of what they're like. And then since you know a documentary film-going audience is mostly liberal, it would be a challenging and interesting experience for a lot of people to see the film and, uh, and see people that they thought they didn't like and try to get to understand them a bit. Well, I mean, we never even understand why the Attorney General wins. The, 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 the one that the we, you're, you feature in the film doesn't win. But we don't know right. why the other guy does. From what we see, like, uh, well, not our, not, yeah, not from our film. No, only you only get the sense that the uh, the kind of appeals that Phil Klein, the guy who loses, the mm -hmm. conservative, that the kind of appeals he was making didn't carry the day. You know, back in 2006 when the tide sort of turned. Right, but is it? Do we? Do we understand it's because his view was limited to I'm going to make abortion illegal again or something or? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm asking in reality what happened because I don't remember the what, attorney what, general yeah, race in 2006 in Kansas. Sorry. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. right. And it's obscure. We, we picked it because it was a race that people wouldn't know because he could be any politician. You know, to him, he could, to us, he could have been any politician mm -hmm. making that kind of appeal to his, his base. You know, I mean, what, so what actually happened was that uh, when Phil Klein was in office, he, he did spend a lot of energy going after Dr. Tiller's abortion clinic and, and these wide-ranging investigations public felt that, and almost everybody, you know, most of the Kansas felt that he went way too far. You know, I mean, he was subpoenaing patients, individual patients' medical records to try to find some evidence that Tiller had broken the law. You know, I mean, he went, he was really, it was really the focus of his governance <laughs> as Attorney General. Did Dr. Tiller ever con get convicted of anything, like in his entire life? He, did, he went to trial, he went to trial, well, it's interesting, so Tiller, eventually what happened was Tiller went to trial, and it was actually Klein's successor, the man who defeated him, who charged? Who ultimately ended up charging Tiller with something? Mis some misdemeanors about procedure, basically. And Tiller went to trial, and he was acquitted. Mm -hmm. And it was that it was it was that process that the guy Scott Roder, the guy who assassinated Dr. Tiller, was at that trial mm -hmm. as a spectator, hoping he would be found guilty. And when he wasn't, he became so frustrated that he decided to go and kill the guy. Right, and set back the pro-life movement quite a bit. Oh um, yeah. Did you did you have any interview footage with Scott Roder or no? No, I mean, again, you know, because we were done with the movie before uh, before Tiller was killed. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we didn't know anything about him at that time. Now, part of the problem with this sort of separation between red state and blue state is everything has been divided to the point where nobody has any agreed-upon facts, so you can't have a discussion because someone will say, oh, that's just spin in whatever direction it is. So you can't even agree that... Christopher Columbus maybe wasn't the best guy in the world, and that maybe he exploited Native Americans. Oh, that's just liberal spin. <laughs> you know, the the New Deal did, did some. No, that's liberal spin. I mean, we, changing mm -hmm. history books and going back in time and doing all that stuff means that you can't have that, you can't have any discussion. Because you, can, right. you have to have something where you have a base between you. Like, we agree on this, but we disagree in the middle. But there is no agree on individual things. 
Right. Well, that's what the public education system is supposed to do, right? It's to knit us together as a society. And why do you think the conservatives are always attacking public schools? They're, they're attacking that very fabric of... Is there such a, a lack of self-awareness on the people that you were interviewing that they can't see that there's an issue, that they must have everything feed their worldview? In, in, yeah, in other words, did, right, the, 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 the true believers on the right that we profiled, yeah, did they ever, uh, since the, <laughs> yeah, were, were they aware of just how limited their, their viewpoints were? I mean, it seemed deliberate, so I, I assume that there must be some inkling of it, but I don't know how aware they are of it. I, yeah, I mean, we found, you know, the Bardens, for example, were really good examples of total true believers. I mean, they're just absolutely not willing to consider that they might be wrong about, you know, whatever their, their core beliefs are. I mean, I think, Angel and, I think Angel and Rob were much more, the Dillards were interesting to us because they were a little bit more, what am I trying to say? I, I don't think Angel would actually have sit down with you and said, you know, dinosaurs walk the earth the same time people did. Okay. You know? But there's a, there's a whole spectrum, you know, just as just as unfortunately there are people who are convinced that the government destroyed the World Trade Center. I mean, I, again, it's like you got to ask, you know, why does somebody get to that point where, uh, where they're, you know, where they're, where they're going to they're going to turn their back on any any contradic- any contradictory viewpoints to their own. Well, with that one, I can almost understand it, not because I support the loose change sort of theory, but I'm a big fan of the terrible action movie, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Do you know that film? But it doesn't have anything to do with the World Trade Center, does it? It absolutely does, because there is, and that movie was made in 95, there is a, so after the first World Trade Center bombing, there the, 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 the government plan in that is to kill 5,000 people in the area to justify a war. Hmm. And that's only like the bare facts of it. In fact, the details are more, in, are very, very close to what happened, because they were going to blame it on Arab terrorists. Um, oh, wow. And it was, you know, it was like the whole, like the whole thing was so pressing in the strangest way. So that's, I mean, that, yes, that's just, a, that's just a coincidence in that state. But that's one of those things which is on cable enough where people are like, oh my God, they knew about this. They watched The Long Kiss Goodnight. That's why they paid so much for the script. That's a script that's built for more money than anything else, $4 million wow. or something. But that, you know, that's one of those conspiracy theories. Well, I, I think, you know, why would you bother with that, you know? What, what, what would be the advantage of killing all those people from the inside? But, you know, you, you see a loud... Movement. Yeah, and what we're dealing with now, right, there's always been conspiracy theories mm-hmm. on the right and on the left, and right now a lot of them are on the... Coming from, that stuff is coming from the right, right? And mm-hmm. there have always been wing nuts and outliers and people with nutty views, but what's, you know, what changes, right, is when they're embraced by the political establishment, right? That's mm-hmm. when you really know things have changed, right? Well, I mean, that's how you wonder the, the Tea Party people who were elected how long before they just become part of the system. The guy who looks like Don King, who was elected, I can't remember his name, who was spouting all sorts of ridiculous rhetoric. Like the first day he was interviewed on, I think it might have been Hardball or something like that. And he was basically, you know, walking back from everything he said to get elected. And so I'm thinking, so it took you six hours (laughs) to perhaps, or someone consulted with you and said, you know, you don't really want to say this stuff. You don't really want to say that um, our president is uh, uh, an illegal alien and a terrorist, because he, right. I believe he did that's say that. that. So, and that somehow got him elected. I don't know how there's a connection, but yeah. But you know, he backed off that as soon as he was interviewed the day that he was put in office. Is there a concern? I mean, do you think all the people who you interviewed have you talked to them since then about like what happened in two thousand eight? 
in terms of the and in, in, in 2010 or do they all become birthers? I don't think so. I think that because they're all unfortunately white. Right. Yeah, that's just who lives in Kansas too. No, I know. I've been there, but that's the no. thing is that it's all white, and so no. having a black president is not going to reinforce their worldview very much. No, no. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't talked to everybody. You know, since Obama was elected, I'm sure they didn't vote for him. Right. I think generally, the thing, I mean, the thing that I notice that we make clear at the end of the film is, you know, the religious right is in it for the long haul. They're not thinking just of one election. Right. You know, they're they're built institutions, and they're just like, well, if we lose this one. We'll just dig in and wait it out, and we'll get we'll get them next time. But don't they? Actually, they never get frustrated that that while the the politicians do say, "Oh yeah, I'm with you," then they then when they get in the office, they don't do anything resembling what the religious right wants. Well, so I think eventually they did get frustrated at the moment that we were with them. You know, 2006. I think that. I mean, the log cabin Republicans working. deserted Bush, but at least there was some attempt to be logical in that. I, I think that. You know, with with these kind of these these impossible crusades, you know, uh, seemingly impossible crusades of the religious right, like outlawing abortion and outlawing gay marriage and things like that. Well, I mean, I guess it's not hardly impossible the way around. But you know, uh, they kind of expect to be disappointed by politicians. I think they just I think they just expect to be betrayed. The only thing that's surprising is is when they continue to remain involved in politics. Right? These are these are kind of people who wouldn't have even been involved in politics more than a generation ago. Did you ask that question? Hey, why do you keep getting involved if, if it's just lip service from the politicians? Well, I mean, I, again, I think it's, you know, look at, the, I mean, I think it's not, I think they see, I mean, they do get something, you know, look at who's on the Supreme Court right now. I mean, they, but how does that help them get, in any way? That's the thing. Well, yes, I agree that you won't pass certain things, pass the Supreme Court, right. but it's not like gay marriage is going away, it's yeah. getting closer. Well, this gets back to the the media sphere. That, you know, if you live in uh, a lot of parts of in Kansas and a lot of parts of the country, if things aren't going your way for whatever reason, you know, if let's say even like a, a Republican president or Republican whoever is not enacting the policies that you want, you, know, you can just turn on Rush Limbaugh and he'll tell you who to blame. You know, mm -hmm. and so it just kind of keeps going. And there's never, I mean, you know, look, I know that Keith Olbermann is primarily an entertainer, but are they not aware that? Limbaugh and Beck are primarily just radio personalities who are entertainers. I, I, th I think their fans are, take those guys pretty fairly seriously. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I wanted to say before is, you know, a refusal to learn, but also a refusal to believe that anyone might be an expert on any particular subject. Is that a little frustrating to talk to them about that sort of thing? Well, it's a very interesting. Tom sees a lot of the culture war issues as being kind of a revolt against the elites. And actually, it's funny, my, my dad is a, a scientist, and he kind of tipped me off to this. He was like, you know, I think he's not a documentary filmmaker. He doesn't get involved in any of this stuff. But he was like, you know, I think, he says, when I hear people on the radio talking about how evolution is, you know, a big lie, and actually the our world was created in six days, and those scientists are all a bunch of liars, that, he, you know, it, it feels to him like a lot of a lot of ordinary people get huge satisfaction out of you know a big fu sticking the finger in the eye of the experts you know who they see as the elites. I mean, of course, the elites have given us a lot of good things like modern medicine and cars that drive fast and stuff like that. So you wonder why you know, but but I but, think but George Bush is an elite. They didn't really pick who, up on that. I mean, he he's a he's a daddy's boy who went to Yale. Right, right, right. 
but they all thought I, I he think, was a cowboy. I, I never got that. I, I think for a, you know, like a machinist, you know, who works at Boeing, or mm-hmm. for you know, a, a somebody who grew up on a farm and now they work at Walmart. You know, the prospect of sending their kid to you know Harvard or someplace like that is more remote to them than someday becoming a millionaire because they won the lotto or and they invented something or something like that. So I think there is this real resentment. I think I think, they, I think a lot of people perceive as the elites as being, you know, the know-it-alls, the professors, the experts, the scientists. And they don't care and, how they uh, got that way through actually reading. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, because it, it all seems very unfair to them, you know. And, that's, uh, and that, that leads us into some bad places, some bad, dark places. Right. And they're white, so they can't play basketball. <laughs> so they, they got no free ride anywhere.